0: Rosie, what advice would you give to any women watching at home who are living with violence? Um, You know, advice, is it a good thing? I would say you stay safe, but it will never get better. And you deserve more. You deserve to live a life where you can wake wake up every day and not have to worry about the day ahead. What decisions you have to make, whether you're keeping yourself or your children. You know, there is a life that you don't have to live. But it is about safely, um, and I would suggest that you pick up the phone and if you are in in a, a very unhappy relationship, that you're in the one respect and get put through to experts who can speak to you. Because if you do speak to the wrong people, who do give you advice, tell you what to do, what they would do in your position, you don't feel supported, you don't feel empowered, you feel judged and criticized. So my advice would be to speak to the Family service, Violence Services and the crisis lines that are there, who totally understand the position you're in, that they're there not to tell you what to do, they're just there to support you. They empower you, but you know that you're going to make the decisions you can when you're ready. And that's, you know, you are the expert in your life, and it's when you're ready. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us for this
1: episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast. Uh, We just wanted to say thank you to a few of our listeners that did support us on Patreon when we had our page up. So thank you to Erin, Johnny, Uber Chic Polish, Valerie, Cherie, Nadia, Chloe, and a big thank you to Seth for your generous donation and Marta for your support. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much.
2: This week we are discussing a case that highlights a very important issue that can affect anyone, regardless of socioeconomic status, race or age, and that is family violence. Today we are talking about the shocking murder of an 11-year-old boy in 2014, Luke Batty. It was a murder that shocked Melbourne. I know I can still remember the day that it happened. Following the tragedy, Luke's mother, Rosie, became a spokesperson sharing her story about domestic violence with Australia, even winning Australian of the Year in 2015. We want today's episode to really highlight Luke and Rosie's journey and how insidious family violence is.
1: So in preparation for this episode, we've read Rosie's book, which is a fantastic and heartbreaking read, and it's really well written. If you did want to know more about this case after you listen to the episode, we really recommend reading that book. So it's called A Mother's Story by Rosie Batty, and we just can't recommend it highly enough. Rosie is a really inspirational woman. She's really strong, and she's brought family violence into the forefront for many Australians, and I'm sure she's empowered people in a similar position to seek help. The 12th of February 2014 was a day like many others before it for 11 year old Luke and his mother, Rosie Batty. Luke was a happy young boy despite the fact that he'd been through a lot in his short life.
2: His favourite colour was yellow. He loved Lego, specifically Star Wars Lego and Lego City. He loved video games, in particular Minecraft. He was well rounded, participating in a number of extracurricular activities, including footy. Cricket and Scouts. Luke enjoyed going to school and was known to be an intelligent young man who was capable of deep thinking, which his mum Rosie was very proud of. As usual, Luke woke up late for school, and Rosie pushed him to hurry up, as many mums do on school mornings. The Baddies lived in a small town on the picturesque Mornington Peninsula called Tyab, which is fifty seven kilometers from Melbourne's central business district.
1: Tyab is known for its beautiful antique stores and was a nice, quiet place to raise a young tween. That day, Rosie dropped Luke off at his school, Flinders Christian Community College, and both went about their days. That afternoon, Rosie picked Luke up from school and took him to his cricket training at the local reserve on Frankston Flinders Road in Tyab. When they arrived, Rosie saw that Luke's father and her ex, Greg Anderson, was there to see Luke practice. Anderson had been the perpetrator of violence against Rosie for years, but he'd never really taken out his anger on Luke.
2: Rosie asked Luke if he was okay being at cricket practice with his dad there, and Luke said he would be okay. Rosie left Luke to practice and went to run errands. It would later be revealed that there was an active family violence intervention order, or FIFO, against Anderson that night when he showed up at Luke's practice. Rosie was unaware that the order prevented him from attending Luke's cricket practice, and she had always encouraged the pair to have a relationship and spend time together. Luke and Greg Anderson appeared happy to see each other, and as far as Rosie was concerned, everything was fine.
1: Rosie returned to the cricket ground just before 6pm to collect Luke, and she saw that he and his dad were playing a bit of cricket together as the coaches and players were packing up. Luke ran up and asked if it was okay if he kept practising with his dad, to which Rosie agreed and had a bit of a chat with some of the other mums. Luke headed back to the nets and continued to practise with his dad. At some stage, the son of the cricket coach, who was an eight-year-old boy, went to the cricket nets to collect a bag that had been left there when he saw Greg Anderson raise a cricket bat over his right shoulder and bring it down hard, with Luke laying on the ground.
2: He put two and two together and ran back to tell his dad what he had seen. As you would expect, he was extremely distressed. It was initially thought there must have been some sort of accident between father and son as they practised. It was just before 6.29pm when Rosie became aware that something was going on with her son. Reportedly she heard a distressed noise coming from the cricket nets and turned to see her son lying on the ground with her ex kneeling over him. Like the coach, she initially thought an accident must have taken place, but she was aware that Luke appeared seriously injured.
1: Rosie ran to the cricket club rooms distraught to get an ambulance called. She was too scared to actually go over to the nets because she was terrified of what she might see. Meanwhile, after hearing his son's concerns, the coach made his way over to the cricket nets to assist Luke. When he was around four metres away, he asked Greg Anderson if Luke was okay. Anderson then charged at him. The coach tried to approach again and asked if Luke was breathing. Anderson responded, Yeah, he's okay. He's okay now. He's gone to heaven.
2: Soon after, the ambulance arrived at the reserve and the paramedics tried to get close to Luke to assist him. When they too were approached by Greg Anderson, who was holding a knife, he said, It's too late. Get the police. It's too late. He's gone. Don't come near me. Paramedics were concerned by the risk to their safety and retreated back to the ambulance. One of the paramedics communicated that police were needed at the scene as soon as possible. Police constables Hester and Possilwaite arrived soon after and approached the cricket nets. They saw a young boy laying on the ground and a man kneeling over him.
1: As they approached, the man ran towards them holding a knife. He was covered in blood. The constables yelled to Greg Anderson, ''Stop, drop the knife and get on the ground.'' But he kept advancing. It wasn't long before backup arrived and there were four officers trying to get to Luke, as Anderson continued to try and stop them. Constable Swift sprayed Anderson in the face with capsicum spray when he continued to advance with his knife despite being warned not to. When sprayed with the capsicum spray, Anderson lunged at the officers and he was shot, allowing paramedics to get to Luke.
2: Devastatingly, at 11 years old, at 6.55pm, Luke Buddy was pronounced dead at the scene. Medical evidence suggests he had passed away before emergency services arrived at the reserve. Anderson was flown by police helicopter to the Alfred Hospital for life-saving surgery, but was pronounced dead at 1.25am. While all the commotion was taking place around Luke and Greg, Rosie was being comforted by friends. She knew something really bad had happened to her son but nobody was telling her exactly what was going on. When Greg was being aggressive, paramedics moved Rosie to a safe place behind the clubhouse where Greg wouldn't be able to see her. Rosie remembers wondering why the paramedics were with her and not attending to Luke.
1: She remembered hearing someone screaming, they've shot Greg. Soon after this, a police officer, Constable Topham, who Rosie already knew, approached her. He said, Luke has been killed, Rosie, and Greg has been shot. We need to do a thorough investigation. There's pretty strong evidence to suggest that this was no accident. He had a knife. As you can imagine, Rosie was hysterical. She was begging to see her little boy and she was devastated that he was all alone on the cricket pitch in the dark. But she was told, I'm sorry, Rosie, but you can't go out there. We're looking after him, I promise. She continued to beg, but was told, Trust me, Rosie, you wouldn't want to see him like that. It's not how you should remember him.
2: Just before midnight on the night of Luke's murder, Rosie was taken to the Mornington police station to give a statement. She took them through the story of her and Luke's life and what they had been through with Greg right from the beginning. Rosie was born in England on the ninth of February 1962. She had had a difficult childhood, and sadly her mother had passed away when she was only six years old. She was raised by her father, who was a stoic farm man.
1: He did his best to raise Rosie and her two younger brothers, but the death of a parent obviously has huge implications for a young child. She didn't have the maternal influence in her life and felt as though this did have a negative impact on her and caused a certain amount of trauma. There was a lot of extra responsibility on her to help care for her younger brothers, and her father encouraged her to be strong for them. As a result, she learnt how to contain her emotions rather than express them. When Rosie was 12, her father remarried a young New Zealand woman named Josephine.
2: Josephine was only 28, but got along really well with the three kids and was able to bring some of the structure to the household that Rosie and her brothers needed. In 1987, Rosie moved to Brisbane, Australia, choosing Australia because it was one of the few places she was able to get a six-month working visa. She found that the people were friendly, but the weather was extreme, very hot compared to what she was used to in England. She decided to move to Melbourne with a friend, Janet, where the weather was a little cooler and found a job working in the office of a cemetery. When she went home to England after her working holiday, she realised how small it felt and it wasn't long before she moved back to Melbourne to live.
1: She moved in with a boyfriend who had a drinking problem, and the couple tried to make it work for around five years before Rosie decided that it was not working out. Following the breakdown of that relationship, when Rosie was 30 years old, she was working for a recruitment agency in the Melbourne CBD, and this was where she met Greg Anderson. She found him to be well-groomed, quick-witted, charming and attractive. Rosie felt like she was getting a fresh start. She was getting out of her relationship with the alcoholic and getting to know a man who appeared to have his life together. He was working and he seemed like a good guy.
2: He had been married in the past, but according to him, it was his ex-wife's fault that it had ended and he had no control in the situation. She actually felt sorry for him when he told her about his past relationship. But despite the fact that she found Greg quite charming and funny, she also found that he could be unnecessarily rude and inappropriate at times. For example, one night at a party, he pointed at one of Rosie's friend's legs and asked loudly, how long have you had those veins on your legs? Many of Rosie's friends didn't particularly like Greg. They got a bad vibe off him and thought he was a bit of a dickhead.
1: She often felt as though she needed to apologise and make excuses for his behaviour. He would also come in and out of her life, at times treating her kindly and bringing her flowers and at other times completely ignoring her. In 1992, Rosie was living in Belgrave on the outskirts of the beautiful Dandenong Ranges. While she loved the area, she felt isolated. She worked in the city and it was a long commute. There was also some pressure financially since she had a mortgage. Greg was still in and out of her life and continued to be a difficult person a lot of the time.
2: His dark side was beginning to show in their sex life and Greg was very deviant. He would even start having sex with her when she was asleep, even entering her house, having sex with her and leaving, which she hadn't realised at the time, was rape. One of her friends approached her and told her that Greg had tried to rape her, which disturbed Rosie completely and she decided to stop seeing him. She moved to Sydney briefly for work before returning to Melbourne and buying a house in Menzies Creek, which wasn't far from her original house in Belgrave. Time went by, and before she knew it, it had been eight years since she had seen Greg Anderson.
1: Greg had started asking around about Rosie and eventually got a hold of her, and they decided to meet up for coffee. Greg was now homeless and without a job but he told Rosie this was because he was on an enlightened and spiritual path and that he hadn't slept with anyone else since they had separated. As is often the case, bad times were forgotten and happy memories were talked about and the two laughed and enjoyed each other's company. He wanted to check out Rosie's new home and she felt that he had changed for the better and therefore maybe they could get to know each other again. At this stage, Rosie was 39 years old and was taking stock of her life.
2: Forty was approaching quickly and Rosie was unhappy with her current job. She was also realising that the possibility of becoming a mother was slipping away. Greg didn't want her taking birth control as he was very anti-medical industry and told her he wouldn't have sex with her if she was on the pill. As a result of this, it wasn't long before Rosie was pregnant. She felt mixed emotions. She knew that Greg probably wasn't the man for her and wouldn't make an amazing co-parent but she was excited to become a mother. Greg was happy when Rosie told him about the pregnancy, and it didn't take long for his paternal instincts to kick in. It was obvious that he wanted to be part of his child's life, and Rosie didn't feel comfortable depriving him of that opportunity.
1: Things continued to be strained between the pair. But a lot of the time, Greg Anderson seemed oblivious to Rosie's feelings. At one stage, he asked her to marry him in what Rosie believed was actually a joking manner. And when she brushed him off, he internalised the rejection, which he would take out on her later. Rosie enjoyed her pregnancy. She felt great and she was lucky enough not to experience any morning sickness. The pregnancy was considered high risk because of her age, but was otherwise uneventful. When she and Greg found out they were having a little boy, they were ecstatic.
2: Despite Greg's continuing eccentric and sometimes concerning behaviour, he tried to embrace his upcoming role of fatherhood and join Rosie for parenting classes to prepare. During her pregnancy, Greg showed up at Rosie's house one day with a parcel of fish guts and proceeded to burn them on the fire and rub them all over himself. He stated that this was a cleansing ritual. Another example of his eccentric, strange behaviour was when he arrived at Rosie's wearing a pair of goggles and stating that he had to wear them because the wire frames on his regular glasses were interfering with his brain waves. He was paranoid and suspicious of everyone, including the mother of his child, believing that Rosie was trying to poison his water.
1: Because of this often inappropriate behaviour and their strained relationship, Rosie didn't want Greg to be there while she was in labour with her child. She was more comfortable relying on two of her close friends to accompany her to the hospital and be her support people during labour. As it turned out, when she was in labour, Greg couldn't be contacted anyways, so this didn't end up being a problem. The labour ended up going for 16 hours before doctors and nurses decided that enough was enough and Rosie was admitted for an emergency C-section. Soon after this, little Luke Geoffrey Batty was born. It was the 20th of June, 2002.
2: Little Luke was a small baby at 5.95 pounds and with brown hair and big blue eyes. Rosie spent the first couple of weeks at home with her son, getting to know him and getting used to the highs and lows of new motherhood. Initially, Greg was a loving and caring father to Luke but he began to get more argumentative with Rosie because he believed that he always knew what was best for Luke. Soon after Luke was born, Rosie's dad and stepmother came over from England to meet their grandson. Rosie really enjoyed having them there and it made her wonder whether her and Luke would be better off moving to England to live.
1: Her parents went with her to the legal aid office to find out what her rights were when it came to moving overseas with her son. She was told that they would need the signatures of both her and Greg to take Luke to live in a different country, or else Greg would be able to apply to have him return to Australia. It didn't matter that Greg didn't contribute financially to Luke's upbringing, his legal rights to his child were still the same, and Rosie felt very stuck. Although Greg did seem to love Luke, there was something slightly off about the way that he parented. He was overly possessive, not liking strangers to come near Luke or even look at him. And his aggression towards Rosie was escalating. He was becoming more and more angry that she wouldn't get back together with him.
2: In his eyes, she was taking away his fantasy of having the perfect little family. He would come into her house and try to intimidate her, breaking her belongings or pretending to punch her, only to back off at the last second. He was also extremely verbally and emotionally abusive as well as completely delusional, constantly applying for jobs that were way out of his experience level. The event that pushed Rosie to take action against Greg was when he came to her house and forced her head into a position so she was face-to-face with him and spat at her. If you ever stop me from seeing Luke, I will kill you and kill your animals. Before pushing her roughly to the ground, this was all in front of Luke, who was screaming.
1: The next morning, she went to the Dandenong Courts and applied for an intervention order against Greg. She was given an interim order that would take place immediately and would prevent him from coming anywhere near her. He could still have access to Luke, though, and saw him every second weekend. Now that he wasn't able to directly threaten Rosie, he used disgusting texts as a way to try and control her. When that didn't work, he told Rosie that he didn't want to be a part-time dad and didn't see Luke for eight months. While Greg was taking time away from his parenting responsibilities, Luke and Rosie moved from the Dandenongs to Tyab on the Mornington Peninsula. After eight months of absence, Greg slowly started returning into Luke's life, even sending an email to Rosie addressed to Luke, which said, I'm disappointed in you, Luke. You've become too feminine since I've been overseas.
2: Rosie was not happy about Greg coming back into Luke's life. It had been nice not being controlled and manipulated by him. She looked into her options through the family court and spent a number of weeks compiling all of her evidence of Greg's violent and unpredictable nature. The court continued to allow Greg to see Luke every second weekend. Rosie did not have any say in this. The pattern of violence and control continued much the same throughout Luke's life and obviously as he got older and began to understand the situation more, it affected him more. He became aware that his dad was different and not in a good way.
1: He loved his dad and would describe him as always having a smile on his face and always being prepared to lend things to people. But it became obvious as he got older that Luke felt responsible for Greg's happiness. Rosie made sure that Luke was seeing specialists to address these issues, but there is empirical evidence to suggest that children who are exposed to family violence suffer cumulative psychological and emotional trauma. There were times when Luke would say that he felt like he was walking on eggshells and that his life wasn't worth living. One in three women suffer from some form of domestic violence, and obviously because many of these women are mothers, this means that many children are suffering the implication.
2: Domestic violence can take many forms, including physical, psychological, emotional, verbal, social, sexual, and financial. Children who are the witness or victim of family violence often feel helpless, and blame themselves for the violence they are seeing in their homes. As they get older, the impacts are huge and include a number of poor outcomes, including poor relationships, poor self-image, eating disorders, low academic achievements, risk-taking behaviour, substance abuse, and even suicide. A child witnessing domestic violence against their mother is almost as damaging as being the victims of violence themselves, and has a negative impact on development. Luke Jeffrey
1: Batty died on the 12th of February 2014 at the hands of his father, Greg Anderson. His official cause of death was cranio-cervical trauma, which was caused by his father repeatedly and forcefully hitting him in the head with a cricket bat before stabbing a knife deep into his throat. The father that Luke loved chose to take revenge against his ex-partner, Rosie Batty, by taking away the one thing she loved most, her son. We hear about domestic violence so often that I think we almost become immune to it. In Australia, more than one woman a week will lose their lives to domestic violence, and in this case, a helpless 11-year-old boy.
2: Rosie Batty became a campaigner for a number of years after the murder of her son. She shared her experience to shine a light on how domestic violence can really happen to anyone, regardless of where they live their education, it doesn't discriminate. Rosie highlighted cracks in the system when it comes to domestic violence and how she felt that no matter what she did, she never felt she was empowered to protect herself and Luke. Rosie established a foundation, the Luke Batty Foundation, to help assist women and children who are affected by domestic violence. The foundation closed its doors this year.
1: Rosie was also a big part of establishing a 2015 Royal Commission into Family Violence in Victoria, a 13-month inquiry into the prevention of family violence, early intervention, victim support, accountability of perpetrators, policies, and programs. She's made sure that her son's death was not in vain, and it's truly admirable. Luke had a long life ahead of him when it was cruelly taken. Despite the struggles he had been through, it sounds as though he was a young man coming into his own and establishing his identity. And guys, if anything in today's episode rings true of your own experiences or if you feel distressed, the domestic violence hotline in Australia is 1800 737 732, which is 1800 respect. Nobody deserves to be abused and there is help out there. So please call the hotline if you need to and get some advice about how to get out safely. Our deepest thoughts go out to Rosie and all of Luke's friends and loved ones. Thanks guys for listening to today's episode and until next time, please stay safe.